Hello, everyone. I welcome you to the First Baptist Church Sunday service. Um, I know everyone is really itching to get back to our normal service schedule, um, but as long as we continue to be in this quarantine and this whole coronavirus, um, I'm going to keep on preaching and keep on writing sermons and um, recording them onto the internet. So if you would, go ahead and please open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. And while you're turning there, um, just as a quick recap of what we've already gone over in chapter 6, it started out that Isaiah had a vision of God Most High um, seated on the throne. And while on the throne, we saw the seraphim and they were proclaiming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Um, and Isaiah, in this moment, he realizes who he is. He realizes his great fear in the fact that God is great and Isaiah is not. And he is a man of unclean lips. And in comparison to this righteous and holy God, what is he? He's lost. Um, but God shows grace. And God sends a seraph to cl cleanse his lips with a burning coal. And in this, it allows Isaiah to step up. When God asks, who will we send? And Isaiah says, I'll go, send me. So now we're going to find out what it is that God wants him to do. Starting with verse 9. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Isaiah is now told what it is that he is to do on behalf of the Lord. Immediately we are brought to a call of hardening the people. Isaiah will make proclamations to them and the people will hear what Isaiah is to proclaim. Yet that is as far as his words will go. They will not understand his words despite having ears to hear. The same is true with their eyes. They will see what is before them. They will be able to acknowledge. Yet they will not be able to perceive the things that they see. They will not be able to comprehend despite it being right in front of them. Upon dealing with the ears and the eyes of the people, God now deals with the heart. If they are unable to understand or perceive that which Isaiah will be proclaiming to them, then the natural reaction will be a dullness of heart. God is fully aware that this will be the case with the people. Thus we see a simplicity to the call. Isaiah is meant to proclaim the message which is logical, it's reasonable. A message that is easy to grasp, that makes sense. Easy to see why it should be grasped. Yet the result of such a proclamation is dullness or hardness of heart. Despite the message being proclaimed which should be easily grasped and easily retained, the people themselves will resist the calling of the word of the Lord given through Isaiah. We see this even as the word is spoken. It starts with the heart, then the ears, then the eyes, and then the eyes and the ears and the heart again. Basically, Isaiah will not find a welcoming group of individuals to his message, but instead will find a predominantly hardened people who will ignore the call of the word of the Lord. Isaiah is called to be faithful to the word given to him. And while this word from God could lead to salvation, it will ultimately lead to the people's faithlessness. What we then find is God simply giving the people over to themselves. We find in Romans 1 how God sends judgment on the people by giving them their base heart's desires. 
Now we find the same repercussions happening on the people. The word will come through Isaiah, but it will not lead to repentance. Instead, it will lead to their lack of hearing, understanding, and healing. Now we come to verses 11 and 12. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste, without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and for the, sake, for the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Sometimes we can... Forget that the prophets, they were individuals who lived among the people. Isaiah, he understands them and knows what it's like to be one of unclean lips. He is a man of unclean lips. Thus, this question can be seen um, where Isaiah is wondering, how long will the people be hardened? And it's a really eager request. How long will the truth of the word of the Lord lead to further rejection? And he's He cares for these people in a way. In one sense, the response is heartbreaking from the Lord. We find the response from God to be one of almost complete judgment. The cities, though inhabited, will become uninhabited. The very houses which were built up will not house a person. The land itself will become a desolate waste, a place where growth and enjoyment are no longer seen for the people. We then see how the Lord... And we notice it is the covenantal name for the God of Israel and Judah. The Lord, Yahweh, is the one who removes the people. It is not going to be by the hands of their enemies. It will not be some foreign deity. No, it is God himself, their God, who is going to send them out of the land which he had given to them. It will be no other power, no other sovereign, No, it will be God, whom they have rejected, who will bring this judgment on the people. Now some will wonder about the harshness of this. Yet this was all part of the covenant. In Leviticus 18, 24-30 we read, Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean, and the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations, so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you, and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Likewise, in Deuteronomy 28, we find the repercussions of both faithlessness um, to the law as well as faithfulness to God and his law. If they are faithful, they will be blessed in the land. They will receive rejoicing and they will have much abundance. If not, however, 
they will find the ultimate punishment, which is exile from the land, which we see in the following verses, starting with verse 64. And the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite, and there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall... Be in dread and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, if only it were evening. And at evening you shall say, if only it were morning. Because of the dread that your heart shall feel. And the sights that your eyes shall see. And the Lord will bring you back into ships to Egypt. A journey that I promise that you should never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female servants. But there will be no buyer. Thus, what we see in the judgments against the people is simply the repercussions of their faithlessness. God is sending his prophets. He's sending his prophetic word to the people. Yet they continue to reject that which is before them. As such, the land itself will in time spew them out. And once burned, it will be burned even again. But like Isaiah himself, there is hope for the people. Despite all else being crushed and destroyed, there will remain a stump. And in that stump, the remnant of the people, the faithful, will remain. It will be there that the hope of an eternal harvest, though the tree, the people are felled, there is still hope. In the seed that remains. So the main point of these verses are to establish the message Isaiah is to declare to the people. Yet in the proclamation there will also come an even further hardness of heart on the people. This ultimately will lead to God's judgment coming on the people for their faithlessness. Despite this, there is still hope that in the end the seed that remains in the destruction will be there in the stump. Something is required to be one of God's prophets. Some might believe this requirement is having prestige. Maybe it's the ability to speak well, to be a good orator. Others sometimes believe it requires individuals who are most knowledgeable. Still others would say it is wisdom which is the necessary requirement to be a prophet. All in all, none of these are the necessary thing. One could be a pauper or a prince and still be called to be a prophet. Likewise, one could be a great orator, one which the ancient Greeks themselves would be jealous of, or an individual who spoke with simplicity or even not well at all. Still others could have incredible knowledge and wisdom, whereas others may not possess such knowledge or wisdom and yet both or either be called to be a prophet. So what is it? If not all or any of these things, then what makes a prophet? The answer is the word given to the prophet. Prophets are not made by their abilities or intrinsic qualities. 
Instead, what makes a prophet is that God gives them a word to speak to the people. How do we know when an individual is such a prophet? The answer is found in the message itself. The message which comes from God will be one which is faithful to God's character. It will either reflect upon or remind others of the word already given. Indeed, when the prophets proclaimed judgment, they did so on the authority of the law itself, which foretold that should the people live in disobedience and faithlessness, then judgment would come. Indeed, in the case of Isaiah today, we find this is exactly the message Isaiah was given to proclaim. He was to go to the people and speak to them. Yet what do we find? That the message will be rejected. Despite the reasonableness, the soundness of the message he will proclaim, in the end, the people will only be hardened by his words instead of brought to their knees in repentance and faith. Some might find such statements concerning the people to be disconcerting. We who have understood God to be love and expect him to shower forth his love upon all humanity might find it hard to understand how God could want a message he knows will bring about hardened hearts. But this is our own fault. Our limited view of God often causes us to reject his majesty, righteousness, justice, and holiness while we try to maintain only his love. Yet if we loved God, if we truly desired him and his ways, we would uphold all of his attributes. We would desire to proclaim all the wonders of who God is and all of his beauties and all of his majesty. We would trust in God's judgments and know that while we may not understand exactly why he does things in his ways, that his ways are very good and they're always good and they're always worthy of praise. Because as it is, never has God poured out judgment on those who were unworthy of receiving it. God has never made a mistake. Those whom he judges because of their iniquities and sinfulness, because they refuse to abide in him in faith, he judges rightly. It is precisely this faithlessness which leads to their judgment. And ultimately the judgment always comes in two ways for such a people. The first is personal and the second is corporate, it's societal. Concerning the first, when individuals lack personal faith in God, it leads to their destruction. Without God, there is no definition of what is truly good. And as such, it leads to individuals who practice unrighteousness. Some might say, what about uh, the good unchurched, those who aren't religious, the atheists, the agnostic? What about the good ones of those? While we can certainly be thankful to God for such an individual, we also need to remember that they, in all honesty arrogantly claim to be the source of all goodness themselves. As such, instead of glorifying in the one who made them, they take what is created and place it above the creator themselves, doing this to God. Thus, is it right for an individual to claim the very goodness which comes from God? One would argue no. So while what they do is certainly good, and while we can be thankful for it, in the end, their own personal failure to recognize God and to give glory to God dooms them. 
Only God is worthy of such glory. Yet this is the case for such an individual who is good or righteous apart from God. Many, however, do not seek goodness or righteousness in their lives. As such, they reap what they sow in their lives. Few ever fail to experience the harsh realities of living in sin. The brokenness from following sin is almost tangible. And we see the repercussions of it day by day in our world. What occurs then when individuals are faithless? While the society in which they are in becomes greater reflections of their own brokenness. Thus the nations themselves are judged because the nations are full of individuals who sin and who refuse to acknowledge God and his greatness. Some might wonder though, does judgment still come upon the nations? Indeed, now that Christ has come, isn't judgment something that is part of the past? And I mean, isn't this prophecy after all simply a reflection of the people of Israel? Those ancients of old, does it not really reflect on us today? Well, the answer to all this is, well, yes, yes, and yes. Yes, in regards to this prophecy about the people of Israel. In all truth, this prophecy is about them. Their faithlessness, their hardness of hearts led to their judgment and destruction by God's almighty hand. It was not their enemies or some foreign power, but God himself who would bring the calamity upon them. This, however, does not mean that God did not or does not judge other nations as well. As we remember, the Lord of high is lifted up. He is above all other powers, all other dominions. He is the Lord God Almighty, the King and the ruler of all. While he may have had the chosen people, the Israelites, the truth is all nations fall under his sovereignty. Just as we read from Leviticus, it is God who casts the people out of the land using the Israelites. And the Israelites were warned that similar behavior would lead to their own expulsion. As such, all nations, all peoples are worthy of being judged by God because in the end they are all his. He owns them all. That includes nations in the past and nations today. It should not surprise us that this is the case. The prophets themselves prophesied not only against their own people, but against those who were unrighteous around them, the nations around them. Those neighbors of of the Israelites who were often given messages from God through his own prophets. Thus the first yes deals with the prophecy as being for Israel true. And the second yes deals with God judging nations and he still does. But now the third is that God does God still judge people and nations even after the coming of Christ. And I would say yes again. Some will say, wait a minute, what about John 3.16? I will respond, great verse, love it. One of my favorites. But how about we read it in context? Consider what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, 
And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Notice, people are still very much in judgment for their sins. Even with the coming of Christ, this is the case. Unfortunately, many of us fail to understand this reality, and in failing to understand it, we often fail to appreciate the greatness of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and that he takes away our sins and our judgment and our guilt, should we turn in repentance and faith toward him. Still, the reality of it is, if people are judged still for their misdeeds, then so are nations. We can expect calamitous times to fall upon nations and people. We can expect God's judgment to be poured out on nations whose people are faithless. And in their faithlessness seek unrighteousness and they lack holiness. Oftentimes this is the very message which God gives to the prophet to speak. It isn't always proclaiming some future event as it is often a call to turn in repentance and faith or face the consequences of judgment. But then the question is, if the message is the word of God, then what happens, what is the prophet's call? There is a very simple answer to this. The prophet's message comes from God, as does the prophet's call. The call is to simply be faithful to the message which God gives them to proclaim. Now, some might find this to just make sense, right? Of course, that's the prophet's call. What do you think we are? Not paying attention? I have no idea. Are you? But no, just kidding. No, it's not that I don't think that. Instead, it is what I often find when I look around Christian culture. That is, we often give much praise to those whose ministries are numerically healthy. We often believe that those who are doing best are being most faithful. Yet consider Isaiah. What was going to be the result of his faithfulness? Hardness of heart. It didn't lead to the people clamoring for an autograph, nor did it lead to him being a national bestseller. Instead, the result would be individuals who would disapprove of his message to the point that their already hardened hearts would become even more hardened. What should Isaiah's response be to this? Should he speak kinder words? Maybe then he would be more liked. Maybe the people would be less hardened if he simmered it down a bit, you know? But to do this would be to go against his faithful call. His call is not to sugarcoat the message, nor is it to win as many friends or followers as possible. No, his call is to be faithful to the message God has given to him. So then that leaves us with the question, what about us? Do we have a message? Do we have a call? We do. Our message is not actually so different than Isaiah's. We have been given the prophetic message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We have been redeemed to proclaim the glory of God. The great commission given to the disciples and to us is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that he has commanded. Thus we proclaim the truth of the gospel. Repent and believe in the Son of God. Turn toward him and know righteousness. If not, then no judgment which comes from unrighteousness. Our call is to be faithful to that message, both in word and deed, recognizing we serve the Lord God of all. To be faithful to God in all things in this life, whether you be the husband, the wife, the child, whether you labor in home or outside of home, whether you have famine or fullness, whether sick or healthy, Nothing falls outside of God's sovereignty and our call is faithfulness to God under every circumstance because we know the message we give is true. But what if judgment comes to the nations? The answer is we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. Should our neighbors face judgment, our response is to love them. If the world faces judgment, our response is to love the world. We proclaim the reality of judgment. We don't hinder, we don't sugarcoat the fact that it is judgment. But we also love the world in the midst of it. This is a good thing to consider with everything that is happening in our own world today. COVID-19, the coronavirus. It is just a judgment on people. What specifically, what sins, who can say? We can be sure though that no judgment comes without first unrighteousness and faithlessness. No judgment comes either without God's sovereign consent. So what do we do? I think the words of Jude fit best when he wrote, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt, Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. We proclaim the reality of that judgment from God. And we also love and show mercy even now. We pray for those who are in need. We we proclaim the gospel and we help those around us in love. That is our message. That is our call. Shall we, who are children of the eternal hope, fail in these things? Never. Instead, let us be faithful now, and let us glorify our God through his truth, being led by his faithfulness day by day. Naturally, this all leads to the gospel of Jesus. Um, And the gospel is so prevalent, I think, in this passage. I mean, it's prevalent in all of the prophets and prevalent in all the scriptures. And the gospel begins with our origins, that we are all created in the image of God. And that God is the creator of all things. He is the first cause of all things. And that we, being made in his image, we all have dignity, sanctity, and worth to life. That we were all created with this. And it's a wonderful thing to be a human being made in God's image, which all humans intrinsically possess. No matter who you are, you are made in God's image. 
But the problem is, what we find in this passage even, and that is the fall. Because of the fall, we have hardened hearts. Because of the fall, we can hear the proclamation of the Lord, the word of God, and yet we continue to reject it. And because of our hardness of heart and because of our sins, we prefer to grasp the sinfulness that we have rather than grasp God's glory. And because of that, we are worthy of judgment. Because we have tainted that which is so beautiful, we are worthy of judgment. And because we break that which was never meant to be broken, our relationship with God, our relationship with with each other, with our world, with even ourselves. Because we sin against God, we deserve judgment for our sins. And so the question is, what can we do in the midst of this? What can we do knowing that we deserve judgment? A lot of people believe that if they just work hard enough, if they're just good enough, then they deserve it. But the truth is, None of us could ever be good enough in order to attain the glory of God. Because he's that good. So the question is how? The question is what can be done? And the answer is found in the holy seed in the stump. The answer is found in the one who came after all of these judgments. In Jesus Christ. The very son of God. Who came. He lived. He died. And he rose again in time, space, history and flesh. That through him. We are able to find righteousness. We are able to find redemption. We are able to understand. God's greatness. And his deep love for us because of what he did through his son Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, his blood, washes us of all of our guilt, of all of our sin. This is the message we proclaim. The son of God has come. The son of God lives today. And we serve him by faith. For those who disbelieve this, there is judgment. And the nations continue to be judged by God because of their faithlessness, because they refuse to acknowledge him. But for those who come to him in faith, for those who cling to the mighty sovereign, Jesus Christ, the one who has conquered even death, there is glory upon glory upon glory. Not because of what we do, but because of what he has done. Because of his faithfulness. Because of his righteousness. We are able to attain. All these things. And that's where it's leading us. While we may struggle here. And while we may trip over the stones. That the devil places in our path. And though we may. Want to turn and run sometimes. The truth is in Christ we can overcome. But it's only going to be through him. Any other means won't be enough. Any other means will just be 
failure. Because it's only Christ who has succeeded. And so it is, as we continue through Isaiah, we can proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel which is good news. And it's good news because there's also bad news. Judgment is coming. But in Christ, we can find salvation. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you have accomplished through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the prophets who came so long ago, who were faithful not to win an audience, not for their own name or their own glory, but were faithful to the call which you gave them, which was to proclaim the message that you had. We thank you for them, Lord. And Lord, we ask that we too would be faithful to our call, which is to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and that he is the Lord of all. And that it is through him that we can finally be redeemed and that we can finally look toward you and follow after you according to your goodwill. And so, Lord, we ask for the strength to be faithful to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ to our call to be his obedient servants, to be his disciples, because he is worthy of us, Lord. And you are worthy of all that we are. So, Lord, we thank you for all of these things. In your son's name we pray. Amen. God bless everyone. I hope you all have a wonderful week in the Lord and that you would be filled with his grace and his mercy and that you would continue to be bold in proclaiming the truth that Jesus Christ, he has lived, he died, and he rose again. God bless. Take care, everyone.